I can't tell you how thankful I am for Simon to be leading the music. You definitely don't want me doing that. We appreciate him covering for Ron while Ron's getting some much-needed R&R. We are continuing in a book of Ruth, so if you would turn to Ruth chapter 2. I'm going to stretch myself today, and I'm going to read two chapters. So buckle down, hold on tight. As I said, we are treating the book of Ruth in more of a topical fashion, dealing with the topic of providence, and I thought it would be refreshing to get through an entire book in three weeks, and so we decided that the only way to really do that is sooner or later I was going to have to read two chapters, either this week or next week, so, so here we are. Ruth chapter 2, follow along in the reading if you will. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servants, to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and, and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work, and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When she arose to glean, when she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. Also you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles, and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. 
So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law said, saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law what, with whom she had worked, and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord, who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, Furthermore, he said to me, You should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in the field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It It shall be when he lies down, that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in this city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a closer relative than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will not redeem you, good. If he will redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Excuse me. Again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. And she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six measures of barley he gave me, for he said, Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. 
Then she said, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful to be here this morning where we can sit freely and read your word together as a family. We pray your spirit would give us guidance this morning as we continue to speak about your providence and work our way through the book of Ruth. Our Father, we pray your spirit would open our eyes to truth, that we would see you, Father, behind the scenes in all of your glory, working all things together for good. Father, we pray that our minds would rest in your providence this morning, that we would be assured in the faith and that we would know for certain that you indeed control all things and work all things together for our good. Father, for those who are unable to be here with us this morning, we pray for your grace upon them. We pray you would bless them this morning as well as they spend time in your word, perhaps even as they watch this message and the days to come that they would be encouraged by it as well that they would see your hand of providence in their lives that that although they are homebound and unable to fellowship here with us today that they would be encouraged through your word father we pray you would give us insight into your word that you would bless us this morning in our worship of you and that father more than that that you would be blessed by our worship we give it all to you in christ's name amen It is amazing how the Lord works in our lives to bring us to himself. I was mindful of that this week as I was preparing this message. The events that precipitated my coming to know the Lord. Many of us have obviously a story of how we came to know the Lord. God working in our lives in such a way to bring us to faith. But for me it happened The events began some 23 years ago. I was driving home from junior college one night after taking an art class and on my way home driving my parents' car, I made a decision to turn into a left pocket lane that I normally don't turn into. As I pulled into that left turn pocket, I was sitting there listening to my music and I saw this car coming very rapidly through the light. He was running a red light. And in almost like in slow motion, I saw that car coming through the red light, and I saw the car on the other side getting ready to make a left turn, getting ready to go through the light, and he jumped the light. And the two cars collided. One was a mini truck and another was a small car. The mini truck launched into the air, rolled two times, and landed wheels down on the hood of my car about this far from the glass. And I thought to myself, well, (laughs) self, this could have easily gone a different way. I ended up with whiplash. The impact was so hard. Well, unbeknownst to me, a couple of weeks later, I had the car repaired externally. I repaired the body of the car, the hood was collapsed in, and 
After repairing the car, I did not realize there was some internal damage to the front end. The kingpin casing had broke, and so as I was driving home from school yet another night, the car dropped to the ground, sparks flew, and I went into oncoming traffic and almost died a second time. And it seems to me that the Lord was trying to get my attention. (laughs) I usually need to think about things for a little while, but at this point I thought, I need to start thinking about life and death a little more seriously. And that led up, obviously, to my coming to faith about a year later. I tell you that story because last week we saw in God's providence that He uses pain at times in our lives for our good. That is what we talked about last week, that God uses pain, discomfort, suffering at times to bring about His will in our life. And in that particular case, I can say God used pain to bring me to himself. Last week, I also just want to remind you that we talked about the three purposes of the book of Ruth, really. The story, as we said, is really about Naomi. If you weren't here last week, I would commend the tape to you or the DVD. But we see in chapter 1 of Ruth that the story really is about Naomi. It's Naomi who has lost her family. It's Naomi who returns to Judah. It's Naomi who is childless. And the Lord is going to use Ruth in the life of Naomi to redeem her. It really should be called the book of Naomi. When you see in chapter 4 also that verse 13, Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, and he went into her And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. But you look at verse 17, and it says, The neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to who? To Naomi. So this story really is about Naomi and her struggles and God using Ruth in her life to redeem the whole family. Secondly, the story is also about this idea of a kinsman redeemer. And in the reading today, we saw the phrase over and over again, he is our relative, he is our closest relative, he is one of our closest relatives. This man, Boaz, is a close relative, or in the Hebrew, he is a goel, which means he is a kinsman redeemer. He is a close relative of Naomi's dead husband, which means he has the right to buy her in a Leverite marriage and to redeem her. And so husbands were... If a husband passed away, the brother or a close relative could marry her back into the family so she would not be destitute, and even to raise up offspring so that the name would not die out in the land. So that's the second main theme of this story. The third main theme of this story, as we said, what what we're focusing on is God's providence in the life of his people, his providential dealings in all of these situations, in bringing out the birth, bringing about the birth of Ruth and Naomi's correction, Ruth and Boaz's son, which eventuated in the birth of David, the king of Israel. This story is in here so that we know that in the darkest of times in the nation's history, God was at work in bringing out the birth of bringing about the birth of King David. And so, what we're focusing on here is God's providential dealings in the lives of his people. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about in these three weeks that we have, is the way human life 
intersects with the will of God. Many of us have questions. If God is sovereign, then does man have free will? If man has free will, how can God be sovereign? And so we're trying to answer those questions here for you in the three weeks that we have together. Clearly in this book, God is behind the scenes at work. We, we saw in chapter 1, verse 6, the Lord had visited the people in bringing them food. We saw in chapter 4 that the Lord enabled Ruth to conceive. So the Lord is behind the scenes of all of this. But right in the middle of the book, we came across that statement that says her chance chanced upon the field of Boaz. So from our perspective, things look like chance, random occurrence. From God's perspective, it's all according to plan. And so that is what we're looking at this morning. So we are continuing with the theme of providence. And this week, we're going to see three human decisions in the book of Ruth, which were governed by God. You can say it that way. Three human decisions that are governed by God so that we will rest in God's providence. There are many decisions in the book of Ruth that I could illustrate clearly throughout the whole book, but I'm going to confine my thoughts to just chapters 2 and 3 this morning. We could look even in chapter 1 about the decision for them to go to Moab. We could look about the decisions of the sons to take Moabite wives. We could think about Ruth's decision to turn from idols and turn to the God of Israel. All of these things clearly are remarkable in the plan and providence of God. These people thought they were doing what they wanted to do, but the reality was they were doing what God intended them to do as part of his eternal plan. But what we're going to see this morning is the first human decision that was governed by God is Ruth's selection. Ruth's selection. It's there on the back of your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Verses 1 to 3 in particular. Again, I can't treat this whole text detailed exegetical. We're just sort of buzzing the treetops here, trying to pull out this theme of providence. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter, So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. This statement is key in the book. It is a key statement. It says she happened to come in verse 3. Literally, it says, and it chanced the chance of her. Hebrew puts the verb first. It chanced the chance of her. Her chance happened upon the portion of the field belonging to Boaz of the family of Elimelech. What are the odds? We might say she stumbled across it. She happened upon it. As pagans would say, as luck would have it. The NIV, I don't even like the way they've translated it. They say, as it turned out. The point here is that the verb is masculine which means it can't be that Ruth did it. Hebrew assigns gender to the verbs, which means that her chance chanced. Ruth didn't chance. Her chance chanced. In other words, it's a statement of providence. They would understand this to be a statement of providence. 
It's describing the action of her chance. And it's the same root word. The chance of her, it chanced. What are the odds? She happened to stumble by God's design upon the field of her closest redeemer. Of a redeemer, I should say. So the point is, this is the hand of providence at work. Ruth decides, you know what, I'm going to go out and I'm going to glean in the fields. I'm hungry. We don't have any food in the house. There's no cereal. I'm going to go to the store. No, I'm going to go out to the fields and I'm going to get some scraps from the fields. I'm going to get some grain. Maybe I can beat it. Maybe I can pat it together and make at least some grain cakes. Something. We're starving. They're destitute. So Ruth does not know anyone but she's about to just go out into the fields and see if she can find somebody to be generous with her and allow her to glean some grain. The Levitical law stated that farmers were not to reap the corners of their fields or pick up the gleanings. Leviticus 19, verses 9 to 10, they were supposed to leave the scraps in the corners for the poor people. So grain stocks were to be left behind for orphans, for widows, for strangers in the land, the needy, the poor. It was God's provision for them. So Ruth made the decision not just to go into the field, but to go to this field, to stop off at this one and to glean here. And in the providence of God, it's exactly the field he wanted her in. She had a divine appointment with Boaz, her redeemer. So I guess the point is, from a human perspective, we see chance. But from a divine perspective, God planned it all along. He had an appointment with Boaz that she would marry, redeem her. God's plan would be played out. Look back at the text with me. It says, the field belonged to a man of valor. Do you see that? A a man of great wealth, it says. This is the word gibor in the Hebrew. It means that Boaz is... A valiant man. He is a, some have translated it wealthy. I don't think it has anything to do with his bank account. It has to do with the man's character. He is a a man of valor. He is a man of character. Praise God, she has stumbled on to this man who was a close relative of Naomi's dead husband. So it's not just that he is a man of valor, but he is also a close relative. He is a goel. Praise the Lord. It is possible that this man Boaz could have been as close a relative as a brother. We don't know. The text doesn't really tell us. But if you look over at chapter 4, verse 3, there is a closer relative. But it says in verse 3, Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So it's, it's probably possible that he was a brother. But there's a brother older than him. And so he has first rights to redeem the family. So of all the places to decide to glean, Ruth picked this field. Jackpot. Jackpot. It's kind of like winning the lottery, isn't it? What are the odds of winning the lottery? What are the odds of going into the right grocery store, buying the right ticket, picking the right numbers, and winning the lottery? 
astronomical. What are the odds of Ruth going onto the field, finding a field that belonged to a goel, having him be a nice goel, and treat her kindly? What are the odds? What are the odds? She's a foreigner. She's a Moabite. So think about it with me. Is it coincidence? Is it luck? Is it fortune smiling down upon her? Is it karma? Kismet? I don't think so. As I said, remember the background of the book. Is the future open? Is the future open? Or are there divine decrees that unfold? Is man free? Or is God sovereign? Yes. But let me just run a passage by you here just for you to meditate on. Isaiah 46, 8 through 10. You just write it down. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. I'll read it. But if you would like to turn there, you may. Isaiah 46, 8 to 10. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all of my good pleasure. Is man sovereign or is God, is God sovereign or is man free? What do you think? Yes. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, man is free. But as we said last week, I like to think of it in terms of man's choices being confined to these. God knows all the possible contingencies, but gives us freedom within certain boundaries. We choose but ultimately it turns out we choose what God wanted us to choose. It's amazing. As I said, I don't know how God works it all out, but He does. He does. And, he, and not only that, He works it all out for our good. How do you do that? Even using the evil intentions of some men, God uses for His purposes. It is amazing. This is amazing truth, beloved. So, let me define luck for you. Luck is the chance happening of fortunate or adverse offense, events, or what we might call fortune. Luck. Does luck have any ability to do anything? Is it even a thing? Luck is a non-entity. Chance is a non-entity. There is a divine ruler who has decreed what he would like to come to pass so as believers i guess the long and the short of this is i think we need to change our vocabulary you we us me i need to change our vocabulary what do we say when somebody's going to go off and do something we say what good luck right good luck is there any such thing as luck is there any such thing as an accident let me ask you that question. I told you about my car accident. Was that an accident? 
I don't think so. I think it was God's providence at work in my life. There is no such thing as an accident. There is only God's providence. Which brings up the whole idea of lawsuits, doesn't it? Stop and think about that for a moment. Any of you who have sat at home and watched the morning television have seen these attempts to get you to sue the pants off of everybody you know in order that you might get what you deserve because of these various accidents. For a believer, are there accidents? Or is there only God's providence? See, I think we should not use the word luck. I don't think we should use the word fortunate because these terms leave out the sovereign will of God and what he has predetermined for your life. You could say God's providence, right? You could say if the Lord wills. So from a human perspective, I think it looks like coincidence, random selection, but from God's perspective, it's all according to plan. I think the church has just adopted some really bad habits in this area. Think about Luther's decision to nail the 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg. 1517. Was that chance? Was that accident? It changed the Western world as we know it today. What about the Apostle Paul and his decision to go into Europe instead of going into South Asia? on his second missionary journey. Was that an accident? No, I don't think so. It was God's means to get Paul over into Europe to, to plant churches all down the Aegean coastline. And from there, spring over to Rome, and from there, spring over to Spain. It was God's providence. God's providence at work. One writer said, you may be familiar with this writer, his name is J.C. Ryle. He says, nothing whatever, whether great or small, can happen to a believer without God's ordering and permission. There is no such thing as chance, luck, or accident in the Christian's journey through this world. All is arranged and appointed by God, and all things are, quote, working together for the believer's good. No such thing as chance or luck or accidents. It's providence. So as we look at the book of Ruth, and I ask you that this morning, do you, do you rest in that truth this morning? I told you as one writer said, God's providence is the pillow that we rest our head on at night. Why is that? What about those missionaries who are suffering in foreign countries? Do they attribute it they, they rest in the fact that God is at work. God's causing all things to work together for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purposes. So that means even bad things, even accidents, even random occurrences, God is using by design in the lives of believers. Right? Would you affirm that with me this morning? Ruth's choice on a human level was hers, but that choice was governed by God. The second human decision that was governed by God, look at chapter 2, 
verses 8 to 16. And if you're using a pew Bible, by the way, that's on page 279. Boaz's service. Boaz's service. What do I mean by that? Well, Boaz's service to Ruth. Look at verse 8 in particular. Ruth is told by Boaz to stay with his maids in his field so that she would be safe. He's making a conscious decision to be protective of her. You see in verse 9, Ruth has given permission to drink from Boaz as well. His servants will even draw the water out and give it to her. Verse 11, Boaz is motivated because of Ruth's reputation as a God-fearing woman. Verse 14, Boaz serves her himself. He serves her the roasted grain. This is the landowner serving a foreigner. He has made a choice to be kind to this woman. She sits with the reapers. She doesn't sit with the gleaners. Verse 15, rather than have her glean from the corners of the field from the scraps, he asked his servants to pull out some of the grain from the bundles and leave it there for her. You see that? He says she ends up beating out an ephah of barley. That's probably, by these measurements, it's probably about three-fifths of a bushel. If you were to put it in modern terms, it would be about 22 liters of grain. That's a lot more than the scraps that normal gleaners get. He is clearly going out of his way to bless her. So in these verses, Boaz is showing deliberate kindness to Ruth. And this is important beyond what the requirements of the law were at the time. The Mosaic Law said, yes, leave the corners of the field. But Boaz is a man of character and he's going beyond what the law said. He's blessing her beyond belief. And that was a human decision. But it's because of this that we'll see in chapter 3 that she is willing to entrust herself to his care. And we'll also see that Naomi takes notice of him because of the overabundant blessing. You see that in chapter 2 and in verse 19. Ruth comes back from the fields and her mother-in-law says, I mean, you almost have to read the expression in here, where in the world did you go today? Good heavens! I mean, this is typical understatement. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord. Good grief. He has over abundantly blessed us. But here's the point. Again, Naomi said to her, verse 20, this man is our close relative. So had Boaz not blessed her with the extra grain, had he had not gone out of his way, Naomi probably wouldn't have even noticed that that was Boaz's field. The next day, she probably would have gone into somebody else's field. But it is by God's providence that Boaz decides to show extra kindness beyond the law. He made the choice to do that as a man of character but it was clearly God working behind the scenes. Again, God is blessing Ruth through this man, Boaz, and he is going to bless Boaz 
through this woman, Ruth. See, this caused Naomi to take notice of who Boaz was, which led to her strategy for redemption in chapter 3, which led to their marriage, which led to the birth of their child, which led to the ancestor of King David, which led to the Messiah. You see, a little backwards look through time gives you a little bit of perspective, doesn't it? God was behind all of this. And it reminds me of those guys that set up those elaborate domino things, you know? And it's like you click the first one and it's like flop, 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 flop. And then they just take off. And the dominoes are all connected somehow and they all play off of each other. But it was planned out from the beginning as to what it was going to look like in the end. Some people have described providence this way. It's like a cruise ship. How many of you like cruise ships? I've never been on one. But I understand that cruise ships leave the harbor in one place and they arrive in another, right? Unless they're the Titanic. But, <laughs> but say they leave the L.A. harbor and they're on their way to, I don't know, Well, they wouldn't go to England, would they? Okay, say they leave New York and they're on their way to England. Point A to point B, right? Well, all the while, while people are on that ship, they're dining and rock climbing and swimming and doing all these fun things, right? And they're moving all over the ship and doing things. But the ship is still on its way from point A to point B. Does that make sense? God's providence operates in much the same way. The plan is on par to go from point A to point B. People are doing what they want and they think they're doing their thing, but all the while it's all working towards the goal that God has predetermined. I would take it a step further and say even what they're doing on the ship is predetermined by God. However, even when God's people serve themselves and they make bad decisions, God still uses it for his own purposes, and it falls into his providence as well. I can think of a couple examples that I'll bring to your attention. Obviously, everybody knows the story at the end of Genesis, right? God, you guys meant it for evil. God meant it for good. The brothers, they wanted to hurt Joseph. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to sell him into slavery. They clearly meant it for evil. They were jealous of their brothers, so they they wanted to hurt him. But God overruled all of that because in doing so, he saved the nation of Israel, not only from the Canaanites, but from the drought and the famine. They meant it for evil, but somehow God was at work behind the scenes, knowing the future, arranging it all so that he could bless his people. Joseph wasn't the chosen one either. God just used Joseph in that situation. Judah was the one that the line of Messiah would come through. But God used Joseph to bless them all. That's a good situation, we see. But, but even the bad situations, think of 1 Kings twelve fifteen with me. Page 365 in your pew Bible if you want to turn there. But you'll remember the death of Solomon, right? 1 Kings twelve fifteen. After the death of Solomon in 931, Rehoboam decides to take some counsel from the younger men. 
And instead of listening to the counsel of the older, wiser men who were his father's counselors, he decides to take counsel from the young bucks. And you know how the situation turned out. He took bad counsel. The people got really angry with him. The nation split in half because of it. But look at what it says. It's very important in verse 15. First Kings 12:15. It says, So the king did not listen to the people. He made his own decision, his own choice. Why? Because the Lord determined that. This is one of those times when the veil is pulled back and we see a glimpse of the sovereignty of God. It was a turn of events from the Lord that he might establish his word. You ought to highlight that because clearly this was bad advice from the younger men. Clearly the king took their advice. He did what he wanted to do, but in doing so, the purposes of God were fulfilled for the nation to forever be ripped in half. Bad things resulted from this from a human perspective, but it was all according to God's divine plan. And we know that because all we do is read chapter 11 and chapter 11 tells us that God says, I'm going to rip half the kingdom from you for your disobedience. And so the king makes this foolish choice, Solomon's son, and he splits the kingdom north and south. Judges 14.4, page 268 in your pew Bible. Even bad decisions, I guess is the point, even bad decisions fall within the realm of God's providence. Judges 14.4. Samson decides to be disobedient to God and his ordinance to not intermarry with the people of the land. And he goes after a Philistine woman, right? She looks good to me. Get her for me. I wonder. Verse 4. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he, that is the Lord, was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now, at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. That is a statement of the sovereignty of God. God is looking to judge the nation of the Philistines using Samson. Samson, all he knows is this woman looks good for me, looks good to me, get her for me. In the providence of God, God is going to use that wrong relationship and that bad decision to take down all of the Philistine army. When we read later in the story, in 1628, we find out at the end of the story that the place was full of the lords of the Philistines. Samson would end up in the place. His eyes are gouged out. They put him in between the two pillars of the temple of Dagon, and he pushes over those pillars, and he takes out the whole Philistine army and all of their lords. God was... But back to that other statement, the Lord was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. So even bad decisions, beloved, even the bad decisions you make fall into the realm of God's providence. So serve self or serve God. Either way, it determines the course for sure. But understand that your decisions 
are governed by God and His providential plan. God may be bringing consequences into your life that He wants to use to sanctify you, to discipline you. He may have something in it not for you, but for somebody else. Or for both of you. Only God really knows. Only God knows. So perhaps you've made some bad financial decisions. Perhaps you married someone for the wrong reasons. Maybe you say, I made a mistake. I married the wrong person. Maybe you took a job because of the money and now you're stuck. Maybe you made some mistakes in your parenting and you're reaping that with your children now. What I'm saying is that God is truly in control of all things. If He is, then even your bad decisions work together for good in your life, for what God is trying to accomplish. Maybe God has something for you in the pain you're experiencing now. See, if we could have seen the whole plan on the front side, we might not have bought into it, huh? It's like your cell phone contract. If you knew how much that baby was going to cost you, you might have thought twice about it. But in the same way, you know, we as believers, I think, try to have God, when we come to faith in Christ, we somehow try to have God, we try to work Him into our life. It should be the other way around. Think about it with me. We should be working into God's plan for the kingdom. God doesn't need to work into our life. We need to work into His plan. It's a different perspective. But understanding the providence of God means that we see it from His perspective. We have had our eyes opened to a greater reality, real reality, which is that God is providentially ruling His kingdom and causes all things to work together for His purposes. One commentator, an Old Testament commentator that I really like, if you can sell your shirt and buy any of his books, it's worth it. His name is Dale Ralph Davis. But he says, when I use the word providence, I mean that wonderful, strange, mysterious, unguessable way Yahweh has of ruling his world and sustaining his people and doing it frequently over, under, around, through, or in spite of the most common stuff in our lives, or even the bias of our wills. That's providence. That's providence. So Ruth's selection of the field, Boaz's service to Ruth, they were all part of God's plan. And third, Naomi's strategy. Look at chapter 3, if you will. This strategy on page 280 See, Naomi looks at the situation and she puts two to two together, right? She puts two and two together and she sees the potential here for redemption. Wait a minute. This could all work out pretty well. She sees that Boaz is being kind beyond belief. This is a nice guy. And she knows that he's a goel and a redeemer, somebody qualified to redeem them back into the family. And she knows that Ruth cleans up pretty well. Right? Go clean yourself up. 
take a bath, put on your nice clothes. It, re- it reminds me of that little matchmaker on Fiddler on the Roof. You remember her? Shall I not seek security and rest for you? Listen to me. She says, step one, clean yourself up. Put on a nice dress. Look nice for him. Spy on him a little. Wait until he's fat, drunk, and happy. (laughs) Then when he's dreaming, go down and lie down at his feet until he's asleep. And then she says, wait, just wait there and he'll tell you what to do next. And so she does. She obeys. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and shazam! There is a woman. I mean, the text even tells us, verse 8, Behold, there is a woman lying at his feet. My dreams have just come true. Right? He's an older man. He has no children that we know of. And there's this younger woman, exotic foreigner, (laughs) lying at his feet. And so he does what any man would do in this situation, and he says, I'll do whatever you say. (laughs) I will do whatever you say. Just wait here. I mean, of course he accepts. What is he, an idiot? I mean, you'd have to be stupid not to. But this, this writer is so good. I mean, there's even suspense in the story. Yes, he's a goel. Yes, this is all going to work out. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, wait a minute. There's another goel that's closer. Uh-oh. I didn't think of that one. This could not work out right. So the plans are put on hold until the morning. And you know how the story ends, obviously. The other guy passes on the opportunity. Idiot. But this whole strategy is of God. The whole strategy is of God. Naomi is making these designs in her mind to redeem the whole family, but it's all part of the plan and purpose of God. Proverbs 16.1. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Proverbs 61, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Proverbs 16:9, the mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his footsteps. Proverbs 19:21, many are the plans in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord it will stand. What does that tell you? Yeah, we make our plans, but God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Yes, God is providentially in control of all things, but that does not mean that we should not make plans or have some sort of strategy. And one could think just the opposite. Just because we make plans and have some sort of strategy does not mean that God is not in control of all things. God governs our choices. He does. Have you ever seen those trapeze artists? Those guys in the funny leotards, they go up really high, they swing back and forth. 
they go up there, but there's a safety net. Have you ever seen them fall off those things and land on that safety net? So that's how providence works in my mind. God predetermines a plan, and, and he, that plan is the safety net. That's where we find our rest, is that no matter what we do, whether good or bad, somehow it all providentially falls into the plan of God. These guys go up there, they swing back and forth, but if they miss each other and one falls, what catches them? The safety net. The safety net is always there in the background. See, God would have us walk in obedience to His will for sure, but both in our obedience and even in our faithlessness, His providence orchestrates everything to His perfect end. Jerry Bridges, a famous writer many of you know, he says, we may say that providence is God's orchestrating all events and circumstances in the universe for His glory and the good of His people. That's providence. So I guess what I would have you walk away with on this is it's good to have a plan, but I guess don't hold on to it too tightly. God may have other plans. God may have other plans. I would have never guessed in a million years that I would be in ministry. If you knew me 10 years ago, you would say, no way. But the Lord has so orchestrated the events of my life in such a way to bring about His perfect will in my life. There was no denying it. So be open to what God is doing in your life and what His will is for you. And make plans, but don't arrogantly hold on to them as though you have any real control about how they're going to work out. I think James has a word for us on this, doesn't he? James chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. You don't have to turn here, just listen. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Stop and think about that grammatically there. That's not the same thing. It's the Lord's determination whether or not you will even live tomorrow and whether or not your plans are going to work out according to how you've made them. Both are up to the Lord. The Lord decides who lives and who dies. The Lord decides what plans come to fruition. It is all His. So, don't hold on to those plans too tightly. Have a plan, but don't hold on too tightly. So, we've seen Ruth's selection of the field. We've seen Boaz's service to Ruth. We've seen Naomi's strategy. Three human choices that have all been governed by the sovereign plan of God. Last week I told you that many believers struggle with duds. We call it duds. Divine, deficient understanding of divine sovereignty. And because of duds, they have a tendency to struggle with anxiety and fear and depression and anger. These are believers. Believers struggle with these things because they do not entrust themselves to the sovereign plan and purpose of God. 
God is sovereign. Why be anxious and worry about the decision you make? As long as you're not violating any biblical principles, there's freedom. And understand that the safety net is there, that God will redeem even your bad decisions. Why be angry? God is in control. God has brought this situation into your life for his purposes in your life. If you had a true understanding of the sovereignty of God, you would see it as such. Right? Understand the sovereignty of God. Some people think they deserve better than what they're getting, and they don't get what they want, so they become depressed. They become depressed. Why am I not getting what I want? Why is my life this way? So, I guess I would tell you to plan on not having any control. If you're going to plan on anything, plan on not having any control. And plan on exercising faith instead. Plan on no control. Plan on faith. Remember, God's providence is the safety net for all of your decisions. He, he rules, He governs over every human decision. Not only for His own glory, but for your good. Augustine said it this way, Augustine, however you would like to say his name, trust the past to God's mercy, the present to God's love, and the future to God's providence. Let me say that again. Trust the past to God's mercy, the present to God's love, and the future to God's providence. That's good advice. I think that's good advice. If you want to find rest then find it there in the providence of God. Wow. You're going to have to tell David how early I finished. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Father, we are so grateful for the way you have worked in each of our lives, Father, bringing us to yourself, humbling our hearts, granting us faith and repentance. Our Father, so many things we spend time attributing to our own doing and our own activity, our own choices. But Father, we recognize this morning that you're behind all of it, bringing all things to a culmination that Christ would reign over it all in the end. Father, you will glorify yourself. You will cause all things to work together for our good. And we entrust ourselves to that this morning, asking you, Father, to just give us glimpses in our life of your hand of providence. That invisible hand working behind the scenes, bringing all things together for our good. Because you love us, our Father, and you want to conform us to the image of Christ. Father, please help us to not resist that, but to rest in it. It's a matter of just a couple of letters there, our Father, but the difference between resistance and rest is great. And we pray your spirit would help us to rest in Christ Jesus. We pray these things for his sake. Amen.